Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. We're jumping into the Word today. We're jumping into our series. We're continuing into our series, Out of the Ruins, a study of the book of Nehemiah and the work of the Holy Spirit in all of us. And so we're jumping into that. We've been going over the last four weeks about how out of the ruins God keeps his promises, how God out of the ruins makes a way, how God brings victory, and how God empowers his people to do great things in his kingdom. Do you remember those Four weeks, if you, if you weren't here for all four of those weeks, you can always go back online or Facebook and watch the, the, the sermon there or listen to our podcast, and you can get caught up on those. I would encourage you to do that. This morning, chapter four, we're going to be jumping into how God unites his people. Do you know that there's strength in numbers? You know that, right? It's important that we're not isolated and alone. There's strength in numbers, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, it makes me think of a time when as I was preparing this message, uh, God brought this memory back to me. And my cousins, they tease me about how, how good of a memory I have. I just remember odd things. And uh, there was a time when I was hanging out with some other cousins, Matt and Mitch. Um, they're, they're good cousins. And we, we played uh, baseball together. And we were at Little League. And I was about nine years old. I think Matt is three years older than me. And so we were out at the park, and no one was there. No, no adults around, which is never a good thing when, when kids are just in the park by themselves. And no, no adults around. We just got done with baseball practice. And out of nowhere, there comes this, like, 14-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid that just attacks my cousin Matt out of nowhere, just jumps him. I mean, we're from Kerman. We're from the hood, you know what I mean? Kerman, the hood of Kerman. And he gets jumped out of nowhere, and we're just we're laughing and playing around, and he gets he, this kid starts wailing on him, just starts beating him, and he goes, "Help!" <laughs> just like that, "Help!" And I'm little, I'm a little guy, and I, what, what can I do? It's like a David and Goliath moment. I mean, this guy was giant, and I'm over there just like, "Oh, <laughs> he's punching you in the face," you know? <laughs> and what do I do? So I look around, and I don't have a slingshot and a rock like David, you know. But I do have a baseball bat. <laughs> now, I'm not condoning violence, but he started it. And so, uh, <laughs> so he's like, help. And so I grab the bat, and I'm like, Lord Jesus, I don't want to kill the kid, but I want to stop him, you know. And so I do what any good cousin would do. I smack the kid in the back with a baseball bat. And then I was terrified, like, did I break him? You know, and so, <laughs> so I drop it. And instantly, this monster rises from my cousin and turns towards me. And my cousin, Matt, is like, run! <laughs> so I just take off running. I just go. And I'm so small. I'm much smaller than this guy. So I, it, we had wood bleachers. It was at Coleman Park or Coleman Field in Kerman. And there's wood bleachers. And I just kept going deeper and deeper into the bleachers until the big guy was, like, caught. And they're like, I'm going to get you. And he couldn't get me. And I just waited till my parents got there. And, uh... Why am I telling you this story? Because there's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. Sometimes when we're getting jumped, we wish we had a cousin in the shadow with a baseball bat. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody, anybody that ever happened to you before? Anybody ever been jumped before and your cousin rescues you with a baseball bat? That's an odd question to ask. But uh, there's strength in numbers. And I, I, I don't know if you have a, a story like that. My brother and I growing up, we always got in fights we shouldn't have been, but we were always doing stuff, and I don't know about you, maybe you ever got in trouble with somebody, and uh, you had to fight for your life, but um, 
But I'm sure if you don't have those stories, you have a story where you felt like something was going on and you wish you had somebody there to have your back. Yeah, not necessarily a fight, just life, right? (coughs) Excuse me. Where you felt like, man, I'm going through something. I wish I had support. I wish I had somebody there to help me fight this battle that I'm in. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a situation where you just felt like, I feel like I'm so isolated and alone. I wish I knew somebody that would help me fight this battle. I wish I had a cousin with the baseball bat. You know what I mean? I just, I wish I had somebody. I think we've all been there. And maybe, maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're in a situation like that. You're going through something like that right now in life and and you're saying it would be great to know someone is there fighting on my behalf. And maybe you're, not, maybe you're not in a situation like that. Praise God that you're not wrestling with that right now. But can I tell you something? That if you're not in it now, you will be. There are storms in our life, and, and when we're in storms, we're either, we're either in the storm, we're about to go into a storm, or we're just coming out of it. Isn't that how life works? There's always something. There's always a cycle of something coming up. And so if you're coming out of one, great. If you're in the middle of it, you will get through it. Or you might be running into one. And you're asking yourself, is there someone there that will help me through it all? I think we all wrestle with that. Because there's an enemy who's out there to destroy our souls. Do you know that? Do you know that you have an enemy? Do you know that there's... Someone out there who's seeking to destroy you and your family and your hopes and your dreams and the plans of God for your life. It's not a person. It's not flesh and blood. It's the devil who's always looking for ways to attack you and destroy you. And it always seems that he always attacks while you're in the middle of making progress in your life. Anytime that you're deciding, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to follow through with this commitment, I'm going to do something for the Lord, it's in the middle of those things that the enemy is always attacking you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but that's how he works. He's always wanting to attack when he sees progress, when he sees your relationship moving forward. It's maybe when the middle of you're getting your life in order God's working in your family. God's working in your marriage. God's working in your kids. And bam, you're under attack. Do you know this is nothing new? The enemy doesn't have new tricks. He, he, he only has a, a limited amount of supplies and, uh, and, and resources. And so he's been doing this for years. He's been doing this for generations. In fact, he was doing it in Nehemiah's time. He was doing it to Nehemiah, in fact. He was doing this to kind of bring a, a, against Nehemiah an attack when there was progress being made. Nehemiah and the people of God were facing a very similar situation that we face when we are making progress in our lives towards following Jesus. When God had called the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the enemy decides to attack. We're in chapter 4, so if you'll turn... With me to chapter 4, verse 1. You can follow along if you have the YouVersion Bible app. You can open that, and the verses are there along with some notes that you can follow along with, or we'll have the verses here on the screen behind me. But before we read, can we pray together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask God that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. 
that God, there would be no distraction that would cause us to miss out on what you're speaking to us, your people. So we ask Jesus now that God, you would speak with clarity and that God, you would give me your words to speak to your people. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. Now we know about Sanballat. We heard about him in chapter 2. He's the governor of Samaria, and he hates the people of God. He hates the Jews. And he's enraged that he's seeing progress being made on the wall, the thing that God had asked the people, commanded the people to build. And it says he jeered at the Jews. He shook his fist at the Jews. He said, I'm going to destroy you. I'm coming for you. You're not going to go where you think you're going. He begins to jeer at them. And he said in the presence of his brothers and, uh, and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are these weak Jews doing? Will they restore? Will they restore it, meaning Jerusalem, for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? The enemy begins to mock the people of God. He even rallies his army and says, take notice of these. Take notice of these people. If they continue to do what they're doing, we're going to have to do something about it. He begins to tell his brothers, begins to tell his army, make sure you keep an eye on these people because we're seeing progress where there should not be progress. The enemy began to take notice of them. He called them weak. He says, do they think they're going to restore what has been destroyed? He says, do they think they're going to sacrifice again? Meaning, do they think they're going to come back into right relationship with God again? Do they think they're going to revive what's been burned up? Not only is he mocking, but there's his buddy, Tobiah, which we also heard about in chapter 2, who says, uh, scoffily, he says, yeah, what they've built, it couldn't even hold up the weight of a fox walking across it. Condemning even with the things that God has was doing already in that moment. He began to speak out against it. Have you been there? You're following God. You're making good choices. You're making wise decisions to follow Him, to live after Him, and then you come under attack. And the very stuff that you're making progress in in your life is the very thing the enemy begins to point out, begins to talk about and say, even the stuff that God's done in your life couldn't hold any water anyway. It's nothing. You haven't made any progress. He begins to speak against you. You're not deserving. You're not worthy. Who are you to say you're a Christian? And maybe you might be coming through family members or friends or some jerk who thinks they know you and will say, oh, you're a Christian. We'll see how long this lasts. Oh, you're making a change? Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Have you ever been there? Has anyone ever said those words to you? Oh, you, you think you're somebody? No, you ain't nobody. And the enemy likes to throw out accusations and mocking you when God is actually working in your life. When he actually sees progress being made. Maybe it's in your thoughts. Even he attacks your mind. You begin to make wise choices and he will attack your mind and say, nah, this is not the real you. This is not who you are. I know who you are. You're not going to change. God's not working in you. It's a feeling. It's fleeting. It's passing. You won't be the same person when you wake up tomorrow. You'll go back to what you've done. 
You've ever had those thoughts before? The enemy likes to mock you. In your thoughts, in your heart, or even people who are close to you. Maybe it comes out of the mouths of those who are the closest to you, but make no mistake, really it's coming from the mouth of your enemy, the devil. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who throws accusations at you, hoping something will stick, hoping something you'll grab a hold of and say, oh, I guess you're right. He's the one who throws it out at you, trying to discourage you, trying to discourage me from following the Lord. And when people say things against you or speak against you in some way, when you're setting your heart to serve Jesus or do what he's calling you to do, every time that happens, know the enemy is behind you. Every time. The enemy is behind that attack. It's not just somebody having an ill will against you. Your enemy is not that person. Your enemy is the enemy who's using that person as a puppet to discourage you in that moment. And I want to encourage you today that notice this, that the enemy doesn't attack something unless progress is being made, unless you're beginning to be a threat to him. If you're not under attack, you have nothing to worry about. But if you are under attack, know that the enemy sees you as a threat against him and his kingdom. Anytime there's progress being made, the enemy will attack it. So what do we do in situations like that? What do we do when we're coming under attack of the enemy? Well, because Nehemiah was going through it, and his, the words are written down in us, in, for us in Scripture, it's good to go back and see what Scripture has to say and what God was doing through Nehemiah and the people of God as, a, as an illustration and demonstration of what God would do in us today. And so Nehemiah does a couple things right off the bat. No pun intended on bat. Uh, but uh, he does a few things right off the bat to, uh, to uh, come against these threats that are coming at him. The first thing he does is found in verse 5. He calls on God to plunder the enemy. He calls on God to plunder the enemy. He says what they're doing and trying to do to us, do to them. The attack that's coming against me, turn it around on the enemy. He begins to pray. And he seeks out that God would move on his behalf through prayer. And when you're under an attack, when someone's accusing you or you feel like there's accusations made against you, you don't lash out at the person. You lash out at the one behind the person, the one who's coming against you in those words. And you turn it out and turn it around against the enemy of your soul and say, God, fight my battles for me. The plans that the enemy had to destroy me, turn around and destroy parts of his kingdom. Where the darkness is trying to come in, let light shine brighter so that the kingdom of God would be established. The plans that the, what the enemy has stolen from me, God restore unto me ten times more. God, let us plunder hell and populate heaven. He turns around and says, God, turn the attack back on the enemy. Not on the person. The person isn't your enemy. The devil is. The second thing he does, not only does he pray, it's his first response. The second response is this. He says it in verse 6. So we built the wall. They just told you in the first part, 1 through 5, that there's an enemy waiting to attack you. And what does he say? He, said we didn't, he doesn't say, oh, so we quit and we worried and we wrung our hands about it and we let anxiety control us. 
No, he said, we prayed about it, and we kept working. We believe that God is for us, so who can be against us? So he prayed about it, and he kept doing what God had called him to do. See, the enemy is trying to slow you down in your progress of becoming more like Jesus and reaching out to people and walking in, in grace and walking in humility and walking in strength and power. But don't allow those things that are happening to you in the moment to dictate your future or dictate your tomorrow. Keep doing what God has called you to do. He says, so we kept building the wall. And all the wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Had a mind to work. Where does the enemy attack you oftentimes? In your mind. But if you will set your mind on what God is calling you to do, you know what God has said about you, that you are loved, that you are a child of God, that you belong to him. Set your mind on those things. What Paul says, meditate on what is good, what is pure, what is holy, because you can set your mind on those things so that when the enemy comes in to attack your mind, you say, ah, what are you trying to do? I'm going to turn it back on you because my mind is set focused on the work of God in me. My mind is set towards the work. I'm going to continue to make progress as I follow Jesus. He didn't allow the attacks of the enemy or the words of the enemy to distract him from what he knew God was doing in his life. And neither did the people. But this is what I want you to hear. That Nehemiah's prayer against the enemy and his commitment to the work didn't stop the attack of the enemy. I think oftentimes we think because we prayed about it and we stay committed, the enemy would just go away. Sometimes we think, okay, I gave it to God. I'm going to keep doing it, so now the enemy has to leave me alone. But that's not what he does, is it? No, the enemy doubles down to see if you're really committed, to see if you're really going to follow this thing out. The enemy doubles down. We see this with Sanballat and his crew in verse 8. He started, the Bible says, started to plot together to fight against the Jews and bring confusion. The enemy does the same thing to us today. He plots against us, finding ways and looking for ways to bring us down and to pull us out. And one way that he, one way that he does it is to bring confusion into the lives, into our lives, into our minds, and into our families. Have you ever experienced this? Confusion in your home, confusion in your kids, confusion at work, confusion in your finances, all a way to bring distraction and to try to get you away from your commitment to do the work of God. This is not new. He's been doing it for centuries. And we have biblical proof of it right here. That the enemy has the same roadmap against you and I as he did against the Jewish people back in the day. And verse 9 says that Nehemiah and the people, they continued to pray, and now they even set a guard to protect against the enemy day and night. They set a guard. So they're doing all the right things. They're praying. They're staying committed. And they're guarding themselves. They're doing all the things that we as believers believe that we should be doing as well, right? We're going to follow Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to stay committed to Christ. I'm going to stay committed to the work he's doing in my life and what he wants me to do. And I'm going to guard my eyes. I'm going to guard my thoughts. I'm going to guard my heart. Right? These are all the things that we say believers should do. Do you agree? And they're doing that. But in verse 10, notice what happens. Nehemiah, Nehemiah writes, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves... 
we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come in among them and kill them and stop their work. So the people of God, they're praying, they're working, they're guarding themselves, but the enemy seems to know something that people do not, that the burden of the work will eventually get to them. If we continue to try to rebuild the various sections of the wall, they said, on our own, we will wear out. And the enemy will just walk in right in our midst and take us out. We talked about last week, the people began to build the wall right outside their doors, right? Right opposite their doors. And so what that means is that each individual family was working on their wall together, just with their family. But there was so much rubble, there was so much destruction that they were trying to do everything in life and do the work of God and it became too burdensome for them. It became too heavy for them. This is a huge lesson for us today, church. That we think that because we pray and we do the work of the Lord and we guard our thoughts and we guard our actions that we won't be susceptible to the enemy, but we fail to grasp that the work of the Lord is far too great for any one of us to handle on our own. Following Jesus is not an individual sport. You can try all you want. You can be as diligent as you want. You can guard the things uh, that come into your house and come into your heart and come into your mind. But do you know that you cannot handle it all by yourself? You can't do it. You can't carry the burdens of life by yourself. It becomes too much for you. It becomes too much for any of us to bear on our own. And the enemy knows that. But oftentimes, we don't know it. And that's why we see people fall into sin or fall into burnout or fall into other areas because they're trying to do it all and they don't realize the enemy has slipped in the back door to assassinate them. And we wonder why. What did they do wrong? They were praying. They were committed. Thought they were guarding their hearts. But the burden became too big for them to bear. See, the daily journey of following the Lord and the burdens we carry in life can become too great for us. And if we continue to try to bear the burdens on our own, the enemy will slip in without notice to take us out. Oftentimes, when we only focus on us, what we're doing and what needs to be done in our own lives, it can become such a burden that our focus becomes the the only thing. And those things that we are focusing on become so big that we feel like everything else is so distant because we're only right here in this moment, and that's the only thing that we see. And so the problems and the worries and the laundry and everything else that piles up is becoming so large for us, it becomes, it builds anxiety in us. And we think, God, where are you? No one knows about it. No, I'm on my own about this. And, and then the enemy can slip in and attack. All the things, the work that needs to be done, your personal business, the worries and concerns, all of those things make you vulnerable when you try to carry them on your own. And the Jews were working on their own sections of the wall and they cry out to Nehemiah. They cry out to their leader in verse 12 and they say this, you must return to us. You must come to us. We need support. We need to have someone have our back because the burdens are too heavy. They cry out, we need your help. And this is what God had Nehemiah do about it. 
verse 13 says this, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords and their spears and their bows. He begins to cluster the people. He begins to gather them into groups where there are weak points in the wall, and he arms them with swords and spears and bows. And then he says one of my favorite lines in all of the book of Nehemiah. He says something so powerful. He says this in verse 14, And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of your enemy. Don't be afraid of the devil. Don't be afraid of his tools and devices that are trying to work against you. He says this, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he says this to us, and this is our challenge today. He says, and fight. Come on, somebody. He says, fight. He says, fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Fight. You need to fight. Don't just roll over and die. Don't just give up. Don't just allow the burdens to bury you. Stand up and fight. And not on your own, but with people who will fight with you, who will fight for you, who will have your back in the middle of the turmoil. My first point for us this morning is when God gathers us, it's for a purpose. When he calls us together, it's for a purpose. It's not just by happenstance. It's not just so that we can have church and say that we go to church on Sunday and that's what we do on Sunday mornings. We come with a purpose in mind. We come with intentionality because when God calls us, he calls us for a reason. And we gather together. Nehemiah knew that the burden was so great for for any one family to tackle on their own. But if they would gather together, to complete the work and fight for each other against the enemy, the work would continue and the work would be done and the wall would be built. Under the enemy's attack, it wasn't time to give up. It was time to gather and unite. Oftentimes, I think some people, we forget what church is about. And when we're going through something, we leave the church. When we're wrestling with something, We don't want people to know that we're struggling, and so we go and hide until we figure out what's going on until those things subside, and then we come back so that people didn't see us struggle, so that people didn't know that we were wrestling, and so we think we can pretend again that everything's all right. Can I tell you that's the opposite of what you want to do? Under the enemy's attack, you don't want to isolate. You want to unite and gather with those who will have your back and will help you fight the enemy on your behalf. When the enemy is attacking you, you don't run and hide. You blow the trumpet and say, come. Here, the enemy is attacking me here. Come and help me. Grab your swords and your spears and your bows. We got to fight. He's trying to take out my kids. He's trying to destroy my marriage. He's trying to take my home, but I'm not going to quit. I need people to with me. To fight with me. Come on, somebody. He gathers us for a purpose. There's a reason we come to sing his praises and to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a reason we gather every week. It's important that we gather. He gathers us 
to unite us so that we can fight the enemy. My second point is when God gathers us, we become armed against the, the devil. When he gathers us, we become armed against the devil. How does that happen? First, we're gathered. The word of God is being preached. The Bible says the word of God is the sword of God. His word is a two-edged sword. When we gather, he arms us with the word of God. That we speak it against the devil. The words are spoken into us. We turn around and speak them out. And that's the double-edged sword. One edge is the word of God to us. The other edge is the word of God from us. And God equips us in those moments. But another practical way that God equips us when he gathers us to arm us is, is through community groups. We launch community groups not just so that we could check a box and say we have community groups. We believe that God is doing something and not just on a Sunday. He's doing it every day of the week. And we want to gather with people that will pray with us. That will help us carry the burdens of life. That's what community groups are for. Not so that you can say, I go to community group or my church does this and look how good we are. No, because we know that you're under attack. We know that we have a common enemy. We know that it's under the burdens of life that he tries to sneak in the back door and assassinate the call of God in our lives. And so we gather to watch each other's back, to be armed with the word of God, to pray with one another and believe that God is bringing us freedom as we gather together. It's important that we gather. Armed with the word of God, which is, which is the sword that we carry, we wage war against the enemy who seeks to destroy us under the burdens of life. And it's in our community groups that we fight for our brothers. We fight for our sons and daughters. We fight for our spouses. We fight for our homes. We fight. We don't give up. We don't roll over. And when we pray together, we pray for specific things. We pray that God would do supernatural things because we're believing that the, the plan of the enemy will not work against you, will not work against your life. And this is what's so powerful, that as God gathered the people in clans and in clusters to fight the enemy as they built the wall, it says this in verse 15, when our enemies heard, when our enemies heard, that it was known to us and that, the God, that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. When you gather together, when we gather on Sundays, do you know it makes a sound that the enemy can hear? When we gather and we sing praises to God and we love on each other, or we embrace each other, and we ask each other, how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? And we ask to seek the welfare of each other. The enemy hears it. Something's going on at Hosanna Worship Center. Something's happening in Madeira. I don't like that sound. And as he hears, we continue in the work of God. My third point for us this morning is that when God gathers us, the enemy's plans are frustrated. One way he does that is by calling his people together because there are strength in numbers and the enemy knows it. That's why it's sometimes so hard for us. Some, some of you 
you've been wrestling. Sundays are your hardest days to get up, to get your kids up. How come your kids can wake up at 6 in the morning and get ready for school, but when it comes to Sunday, you can't move them? <laughs> the enemy knows he'll do anything to stop you from gathering together because he knows there's strength in numbers. Why is it so easily now to be offended against our brothers and sisters? People just have to look at us sideways and we're like, oh, they don't like me. I don't want to go to church with them. I don't want to be a part of what God's doing in their life. And we start becoming isolated. Our offense becomes our isolation. And that's a tool of the enemy because he knows there's strength in numbers. He knows that if he can cause a little offense to cause you to just turn away a little bit from your brother or your sister in Christ, he can hopefully isolate you just enough so that he can sneak in the back door under the burdens of life and attack you. It's not going to happen here. We're going to be a people who are not easily offended. We have thick skin and soft hearts. I'm not going to allow a look or a word or anything to distract me from the word that God is calling me to do. It's not going to stop me from loving you, praying for you, championing you, rallying when you need help. I'm not going to allow the enemy to come in and do that, to bring division, because he knows there's strength in numbers. And when God gathers us, the plans of the enemy becomes frustrated. I think that's why being faithful to church on a Sunday is so important. Making it a priority. Sunday is what I do. Church is what we do. We have to gather together. I know that sometimes there's going to be times you're traveling, you're out of town, you got things going on, and you can listen in, you can watch in, but there's nothing like gathering with people and feeling the Spirit of God moving in the moment. That's why being faithful to our community groups is so important. Not missing a week Gathering so that you can be encouraged and equipped and people can help carry your burdens. That's why Hebrews 10, 25, the author of Hebrews says this, not to neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't neglect it. Don't think it's frivolous. Don't think it's just a social gathering. It's so much more important than that. It's just not something that we do. It's something that God does. God gathers us together to strengthen us and to frustrate the plans of the enemy. It's because there's power when the body of Christ comes together and we support one another. Paul writes in Galatians 6:2, bear up each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The command, love each other as I have loved you. When we bear each other's burdens, we are demonstrating we love each other. Oh, you can't carry that on your own. Let me help you carry it. You can't do this on your own. I can't do it on my own. As we bear each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. To love one another with the same love he has for us. We need each other. And I think that we've seen glimpses of our need for each other. Anytime that we gather, the women went to a, a, a women's conference and they, they saw a powerful move of God. Why did they happen? Because you gathered together. And as you gathered together, the enemy's plans became frustrated. And because you gathered together, you became armed against the devil. And because you gathered together, God's purposes were being done in your life. That's not by accident. 
men, as we gathered together, even we went to the shooting range, we, we began to build relationships. Sean and I began to get to know each other. We have a relationship now. That wasn't by accident. We see glimpses of what happens and what can happen if we would gather together on a regular basis. But sometimes we think it's a special event. Oh, we only do conference once a year. We only do these things for a, you know, a week at a time, or we're doing community groups. Well, how long are those going to last? Or we're doing a, we're doing a, a Bible study or a, a, a class on Sunday night. Well, how long is that going to be? Because we're so concerned about doing something else. But do you know that it's important that we gather together and we make those times sacred because when we do those things, God is working in us as his people. We need each other. Verse 16 says this. From that day on, from that day on, it wasn't just a, uh, a special event. It wasn't just something they did and they marked off their calendar. We gathered. We did it like a family reunion. We do that once a year. And that's about as all we can take to see all of our family at one place, you know. Family reunion, we did that. It wasn't that. Nehemiah said, from that day on, once we knew the enemy was attacking us, from that day on, we gathered together. Once we knew we were in a battle for our lives, we gathered together. It wasn't just a special occasion, I need help here. You know, it was like, hey, I'm under attack. You're under attack. Every day we're under attack. So from this day on, we're going to gather together. That's what he says, verse 16, from this day on, half of the servants worked on construction, and half of them held the spears and the shields and the bows and the coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah from that day on. Those who were building on the wall and those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. When we gather together, we carry each other's burdens. It allows us to shift our burdens in a way so that as I'm carrying my burdens, I'm also carrying my sword. I'm not just here under the weight of all the stress and anxiety and the worry of life, and I feel like, God, I don't have any time for you. How do I have time to pray? The kids are continuing to cry. I got work going on. There's so many things. Only I can do it. And you're carrying these burdens by yourself, and you're saying, how do I fight the enemy when my hands are full? And he's saying, if you would gather together and share your load with somebody else and share your burden, you can shift your burden in such a way that you will work with one hand and carry the sword of the Spirit with the other. You can do this together. We can do it together. Verse 18 says, And each of the builders had the sword strapped at his side while he built. And they worked, and they did what God was calling them to do, and they were ready to gather and fight for each other in a moment's notice. And the sword never left their side. It never left their side. So we have a choice to make this morning. Like I said, the enemy always attacks those who are making progress. And if you feel in your life that you're trying to get your life together or on track, but every time you try, you feel like something come against you and knocks you back down again, I want you to wake up and know that there's an enemy who is trying to destroy you. Not only is he attacking your present, he's trying to destroy your future. He's trying to take away your tomorrow. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, first of all, if you're under the sound of my voice this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never fully trusted in him, you've never asked him, God, you've never prayed this prayer, Jesus, would you come into my heart and to my life and change me and save me? If you've never done that, that's your first step. 
to be a part of the family of God. That's your first tack. That's what you first need to do because the enemy will attack you to discourage you from even making that decision in your life to stop you from putting your trust in Jesus. But your choice today to say yes to Jesus and be a part of his family can help you fight off the enemy on your behalf. Right now, you're vulnerable. You have no one to gather to your side to fight spiritual battles for you. You're spiritually bankrupt without Christ. So without him, how can you fight the battles of life that are attacking you spiritually? But if you gather with him and with his people, now you have a spiritual army that will fight on your behalf. Your choice today to say yes to Jesus will help you be united with the body of Christ. That's why as believers, it's crucial that we don't miss out on gathering together on Sundays or being a part of a community group during the week or gathering together to love on and carry each other's burdens. So I would would, uh, challenge you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you would make Sundays a priority and community groups a priority and gather together to wage war against the enemy on each other's behalf. Don't just say, well, my life's good. I don't need that. No, you could be the answer to someone else's prayer. You could fight the battles and your prayers could break things off of people if we would just gather and make that a commitment. Don't be so focused on what you're doing that you neglect your brother and sister who's crying out for help. And we can miss it when we fail to gather together. Make it a priority. And those who are seasoned believers, you've been following Christ, you know what this means. Then lead the way. Show new believers what it looks like to wage war in prayer. I know we have some prayer warriors here. I know we have people who know how to reach out and and grab the hand of God on behalf of people. And we need those who are seasoned believers to say, don't don't walk away when you're in trouble. Let's gather together and pray this thing out. Let's wage war against the enemy on your behalf. Show people what it looks like to carry your sword everywhere you go. And show them how to use it. And if we can do that, if we can begin to do this, what this word says to us today, we'll see the enemy running in every direction. We'll see the enemy fleeing from us as we fulfill the the will of Christ. We'll see what strength looks like in numbers. We won't see people falling into sin and collapsing under the burdens of life if we can begin and continue to gather together, to pray together, to share our burdens and help each other any way that we can, lifting up each other to the Lord and asking God to fight our battles and to frustrate the plans of the enemy on each other's behalf. That's what we'll see when we make gathering a commitment and a priority. It's in the midst of the ruins of our lives that God unites his people to defeat the enemy. Amen.